Pulling up to Mickey D's just for drinks? Oh yeah, that's me. Nothing extra, just perfection and a straw. Coming in hot for the coldest cups on the block. Because there are drinks. Then there are drinks from McDonald's. Mix things up with any size lemonade or sweet tea for $1.49. Perfect with our classic fries. Price and participation may vary. Cannot be combined with any other offer. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba. Hey guys, before we get into the episode, I wanted to tell you a little bit about Paragons of Earth, the exciting new superhero comic I'm working on with Thomas DJ and Eric Johns. For this comic, we've unearthed a number of obscure and forgotten Golden Age superheroes, plucked them from the depths of the public domain, and completely redesigned and reinvented them for the modern day. It's an exciting cast of characters, and we're throwing them up against the threat of a Lovecraftian apocalypse. It's got action, it's got drama, it's got alternate dimensions and alien worlds, and it's even got a giant shark in a Hawaiian shirt. What else could you want? But in order to make this comic a reality, we need your help. The comic is crowdfunding now, and you can help support it by going to crowdfunder.com slash paragonscomic. That's crowdfunder, without the E, dot com slash paragonscomic. You'll be able to find that link in the show notes, so please double check if you didn't quite get it. Please help make this comic a reality. We are counting on your support. And now, on with the show. I'm a killer, with or without the monster, Eddie. You know what I really wanted? Oh, what was it, Cletus? Told you, but you weren't listening. But I'm listening now. I wanted your friendship. I'm sorry, Cletus. Fuck this guy! Welcome to the Superhero Cinephiles Podcast. I'm your host, Perry Constantine, and welcoming back a returning guest, and that is Liam Kerrigan. Liam, how are you doing today? Uh, great, Perry. Thanks for having me again. Um, looking forward to talking about this uh, this movie. It's uh, it's a good one, in my opinion. <laughs> yeah, well, um, I think we'll have some uh, debate on that front, although you definitely <laughs> came uh, dressed for the occasion. Uh, you guys can't see on video, but uh, Liam is wearing a Carnage sweatshirt right now. <laughs> Yep, uh, you know, get 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 your symbiote on. We're going to be talking symbiotes. So, <laughs> yeah. Um, uh, before we jump too much into that, though, uh, why don't? It's been a while since we've had you on the main show. Uh, you know, patrons will remember that you were on the uh, the, the Patreon show to talk about uh, the Maximum Carnage comic book. But for listeners, of the regular show, it's it's been a while. So, why don't you um, remind them a little bit a bit, little bit about who you are and what you do? Okay, so I'm Liam. Uh, I'm uh, I'm based in Japan, like yourself, Perry. And uh, I uh, uh, let's see. Well, I, I work as a journalist and a teacher, and um, I have had a long-running history of of being right into comic books and comic book movies. Um, you know, it all started with Christopher Reeve's Superman, but then in the in the early '90s, I got into Spider-Man quite a bit, thanks largely to the Sega Genesis, stroke Sega Mega Drive, depending on where you are, uh, video games. One of which was Maximum Carnage, which we talked about before, and which was one of the bases for the inspiration, which ended up becoming this movie that we're going to talk about today. So, mm-hmm. kind of nice little symmetry to it all, I think. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Um... And, you know, like I like I always ask, you know, guests, returning guests, new guests, what kind of stuff are you interested in lately? Is there anything that's been really kind of grabbing your attention these days? Um, well, actually, I just started uh, yesterday. I started watching uh, Invincible, the animated oh, series okay. on Amazon. And that has been an interesting experience. Um, the only reason I really wanted to watch it was because I got the, the, the new Mortal Kombat video game for PS5 a couple of months ago, and mm-hmm. Omni-Man is going to debut as a character next week. So I want—I basically I wanted to see who the hell is Omni-Man. And mm-hmm. uh, 
watching the show. He's, he's a bit of a character. I'll say that much without <laughs> spoiling anything. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Um, I have only, uh, I've only seen the first episode of uh, Invincible, actually. I haven't seen the rest of the series. It's one of those things that I checked out the first episode. I'm like, oh, yeah, it looks cool. And then just got distracted with other stuff. Didn't ha- get a chance to get around to watch it yet. Now the second season's out, I something I'm going to have to um get on pretty soon um but i did read uh also for the patreon show we read the um the first uh trade paperback of the comic series by robert kirkman who also created the the walking dead and uh yeah it was a really cool read so that also is something made me want to go and check out the show a little bit more too yeah um I, I i know nothing about the comics i say i knew nothing about any of the characters until yesterday but um yeah hopefully i can do that at some point as well because certainly there's enough there in the first three episodes to keep me interested that's for sure yeah apparently they they shuffle things around from what happened in the comic books because you know the first episode has that reveal about omni-man but that doesn't happen in the first trade which i think it collects the first four to six issues, it's just your your standard teenage superhero story. It's not until um, I think like several issues in past that where they actually get into the the Omni Man stuff. And uh, apparently, it's um, it's from what my co host, uh, my guest on that one, uh, Nick Baldwin, was saying that they they do it in a very different way from the animated series, and they they play around with the concept a little in a, in a little bit different of a different way. So if you if you like the TV show and you kind of want to see how the comic book did it differently, then it's it's not like a one to one translation. Good sounds a bit like the boys in that respect. Mm-hmm. Yeah. That that was my I think that's the that's the comparison I went with um, when he was telling me about that because the boys I've read the comics and they're a lot a lot um, a lot deeper than I a lot more complex than I actually expected on first glance and then I watched the show and the show goes in uh, different directions from what the comics did it's uh, definitely an interesting yeah. way of doing it or if you also look at you know something like the MCU they've been doing stuff like that too, where they, they kind of has similar starting points and then they've kind of deviated as time went on. Mm. Well, speaking of characters that kind of deviate from what we expect in the comics, uh, that brings us back to Venom, doesn't it? <laughs> it does. Yeah. Yeah. Um, now for my part, there's not really a whole lot I've been uh, interested in lately. I've just been so busy between uh, teaching classes and working on uh, my comic book project, Paragons of Earth, crowdfunder.com, without the E, dot slash Paragons Comic, if you have not supported it yet. Uh, just another note, even after the ad at the beginning of the episode, to support it again. Uh, so please make sure to back that. We've extended the funding period, so it is still uh, accepting donations. But anyway, you know, shameless plug out of the way. Let's talk a little bit about Venom. Now, we're we're I think we're we're if not the same age then at least very similar age so we both came up in the same time period in the 90s when um uh in the early 90s when you had the whole image craze and uh the the whole anti-hero craze that was sweeping through comics and the kind of you know creators taking the wrong lessons from Watchmen and Dark Knight Returns is what I always maintain um and one of the things that came out of that was, of course, this surge of popularity uh, surrounding Venom in the early 90s. You know, Venom originally created, I think, in the late 80s is when he first came out as a as a villain in the Spider-Man comics. And he proved so popular that Marvel decided, well, we're not going to keep him as a villain. We're going to make him an antihero. And there was like this slew of different um limited series and one shots and all sorts of different crossovers uh, featuring Spider-Man and Venom, like obviously Maximum Carnage being the most famous one, but there was also the first Carnage story arc that introduced the character because they kind of realized that, oh crap, we had this great villain and we, um, and we, and we had him make peace with Spider-Man and now we don't have a, have a symbiote villain for Spider-Man to fight. So, so we have to create Carnage instead. And, and we talked a little bit about Carnage in the in the Patreon episode, so we might kind of be going over some familiar territory for people who listen to that episode. Um, but and then you know the Maximum Carnage video game and the comic book. Uh, there's the the Separation Anxiety story, which also was a comic, which also was a video game too. 
And then Venom's popularity just kind of petered out after that point. Like I think about like maybe mid late nineties is when people were starting to get sick of him and he kind of just faded into the background a bit until, um, and Sony was obsessed with doing a uh, Venom, a Venom movie. So they forced Sam Raimi to include Venom in Spider-Man three, um, to mixed results. We talked about that, you know, way back, uh, pre episode 100 about Spider-Man three. Um, and, and then after they had made this new deal with Marvel, where Marvel would get the rights, Marvel would be able to make uh, have Spider-Man appear in the MCU stuff, and they would be heavily involved in the solo Spider-Man movies that Sony was producing. But Sony still had the rights to all the other Spider-Man characters, which included Venom. So they tried to do this weird kind of Spider-Man universe thing, which they've been hung up on ever since the Amazing Spider-Man movies, and they did the first Venom movie with Tom Hardy without Spider-Man, and they kind of, and then they tried to expand it with Morbius, which <laughs> obviously didn't work so well. Um, they're still trying with uh, the upcoming Craven the Hunter movie, which also looks like it's not that great. So we'll see how things work out there. But just with the Venom side of things, what's what's kind of your feeling about the character? What was your feeling about? Um, his appearances in, in the movies and that sort of stuff. Well, I mean, the, first of all, I'm glad that they, they did decide to revisit Venom after Spider-Man 3 because I was very annoyed with that film to have, spoiler alert, um, you know, one of my favourite Spider-Man villains stroke heroes show up and basically be taken out within 10 minutes and very much made to be a one-and-done disposable character, especially after being built up for as long as he was in that movie with the black suit on Peter Parker beforehand and whatever. So I'm glad they went back to it. But I think that to enjoy Venom and Venom Let There Be Carnage, you have to kind of accept that this is a different take. It's lighter. It's more kind of... uh, It's more comedic. It's it's definitely less gritty, but to be honest, after having watched the Batman not long before I saw Venom Let There Be Carnage, this was the perfect tonic actually, because that movie was far too dark for me. So yeah. Um it's it's just a case of, you know, go to go into it, but if you go into it expecting like mid nineties lethal protector edgy venom, you're gonna be disappointed. But if you go in there expecting just a a, a fun, goofy comic book action movie, you're, you're probably going to take away quite a lot from it. Yeah, uh, it does surprise me that you thought the Batman was, was too dark. I had uh, the opposite <laughs> uh, <laughs> appeal of that. Um, but when it came to the first Venom movie, I was... Uh, so I thought... I was... I'm still... I still remain kind of a defender of... Um, Venom in Spider-Man three. Now, I think you make a, you're absolutely right that he was built up too much and he, he was not really, and wasn't really quite executed uh, the way it should have been in the end. Although I thought Topher Grace was doing some interesting things as kind of like this, you know, this dark version of, of Peter Parker. And I, I thought he did a pretty good job in his performance, but the script just didn't give him, do him any favors in that movie. He, he deserved to be more than a one-and-done villain um, based on that performance, definitely. Uh, yeah, he... I mean, a bit like Andrew Garfield, Spider-Man, actually, you know, studio things go on in the background out of their control, and that's two guys who both nailed the roles they were in and deserved to have a lot more than what they actually got in the end. Oh, yeah, absolutely. I, I, I co-signed that completely. Um, and I think at one point they were actually talking about doing a... Venom spinoff with Grace reprising the role, but that never came to pass because, you know, obviously they decided to not go ahead with Spider-Man 4, which Raimi had originally planned on doing, and then they decided to reboot the whole thing. Um, and, and of course, this is also kind of timely because now there's the, the PS5 Spider-Man 2 game that just came out, which also has Venom in it. Um, mm. And... And, it's, and I think one of the biggest problems of Spider-Man 3 is that they tried they tried to do way too much in that movie, right? They were trying to close out the 
the trilogy, the Goblin trilogy aspect with, you know, Harry assuming his father's mantle, which the, uh, the second movie teased at the end. Um, uh, then they were also trying to introduce the Sandman. Um, and then they decided to throw in Venom in there too. And the black suit, which really, I think they should have just, I think they should have closed off the, the Goblin trilogy with just Harry, maybe have Sandman appear as a, as a minor antagonist or something. And then, and then they should have done uh, a new trilogy that would have been focused on the the symbiote. So they should have had, I think, the first, you know, Spider-Man 4 should have been him getting the black suit, him dealing with that. Should have ended with Brock then getting the symbiote. Second movie should have been Brock getting the symbiote. And then maybe the third movie, you do Carnage. I don't know. That's the that's one way I think you could have done it. Um, mm. But uh, but I really... And so when they when they did when they announced that they were going to do a Venom movie and it wasn't going to involve Spider-Man, I was very skeptical about how they would make that work. Um, but I also wasn't against it. Like a lot of fans were, I know a lot of people when that first, when that first announcement came out or when the first teaser trailer was released, they were, they were very much against it, but I thought it had some promise. Um, Tom Hardy obviously is a great actor. Uh, he, he looks more like the classic depiction of Eddie Brock than Topher Grace does as well. Uh, so it was clear he was going to be playing more of the, the, a more comics accurate version of Eddie Brock, as opposed to just the, the dark, the dark Peter Parker version that, that Grace played. And then when the movie came out, I was so impressed by how much I enjoyed it, especially the, the odd couple dynamic of it with Venom and the symbiote, which is something you don't even get a lot of in the comics, really, right? There is the whole, you know, the symbiote, there's the, you know, he's always referring to himself as, as we and that kind of stuff, but you don't always get a whole lot of dialogue between the symbiote and Eddie, like you did in that first movie. They've started to adapt that in the comics now, but originally, and I might be mis, I might be totally misremembering this, but I don't recall a whole lot of dialogue between the symbiote and the host in the comics. Do you? No, I mean, j just come back to when I, I reread Maximum Carnage before the, the Patreon show that we did. Um, it was, uh, yeah, apart from, like you say, the pronoun we, there was very little to tell you that there was two personalities there. Mm -hmm. um, you know, you would just think, say things like, oh yeah, we have to stop Carnage and we, and it's like, yeah, but apart from that, where 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 does Venom play into this? Apart from that, it was just Eddie Brock talking most of the time. Um, so yeah, that's definitely something that I mean, it was there, but I think that it's been expanded upon a lot more, probably since the first Venom movie came out. And clearly, mm -hmm. I think comics are taking direction from that. Yeah, yeah, and I thought that was something that worked very well in the movie, especially because Tom Hardy did both. You know, obviously. Eddie Brock, but he also did the voice of the symbiote. And uh, I can't recall if they had done a whole lot of heavy post-production work on the voice or if that's mostly him using a different voice. Um, thankfully, he didn't use the Bane voice from Dark Knight Returns, no. though. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. But yeah, um, that was what I loved about that first movie, was just that odd couple pairing. And um, I thought the supporting cast was really good. Uh, the main thrust of the story, the whole you know, a uh, billionaire who was, you know, trying to go into space and he gets the symbiote as well. That stuff felt very kind of like, you know, early 2000s standard superhero movie plot. So that didn't really impress me, but it was more the characterization of Eddie, his interactions with, with the symbiote as well as with, um, with Anne and even Dan too. Like I was surprised how much I really liked Dan in that first movie. Um, yeah. it's so funny. I'm not sure if you've ever seen Veep, but, uh, Reed Scott is who plays Dan. He's in that too. And he plays like the polar opposite character, um, from the Venom <laughs> movies where in, in Veep, he is just like the, the smarmiest, most opportunistic asshole you have ever met. And then to see him mm. then playing like this super nice guy who is so understanding, it's just, and he does them both perfectly. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, I mean, it de definitely. That that's that's the range of a good actor, right there. Mm. Um, but uh, yeah, the the with the with the first Venom movie, it's funny actually. I I rewatched both of them last week to to prepare for this, and um, my my wife made an interesting observation because she hadn't seen either of them. We were watching them for the first time, and she said, um, "Oh, 
is uh, is this is this guy meant to be based on Elon Musk? <laughs> it's like, um, well, actually, the movie was made a few years before Elon Musk went full mm. Lex Luthor. So, um, actually, no. But looking back on it, yes, it kind of makes sense that it, that it might have been. Um, and uh, yeah, she also said that you know, in light of everything that was going on after the movie with the pandemic and whatever, she she drew some parallels between uh between the Life Foundation and like big pharmaceutical companies. And I said, well, I think that was an intended bit of commentary there, but maybe a little bit too heavy handed. <laughs> yeah. I mean, it was obviously that movie was pre pandemic, but I think they were drawing more from the, um, the, the opioid crisis and, and all yeah. that kind of stuff in America. I think that's where they got most of the ideas from, for that part of it. Um, and I think I could be wrong, but my impression of, that guy in the first movie was that maybe he was based more on Martin Shkreli. If, if anyone remembers that guy, the, mm. the, you know, the asshole, um, the pharma, the, the pharma bro billionaire, they were called. Oh, back in the, the, day. What, the, the second most punchable face in popular media after Nigel Farage, in my opinion. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know. Elon Musk is definitely up there too. So I'm, oh yeah. It, yeah. It, it it's tough to say which one I'd re- I'd want to see punched more. I mean, I think right now Musk kind of tops it, but mm. <laughs> but now I was really looking forward to to this movie. I mean, especially because the first movie ended with the um, with the post credit stinger of Woody Harrelson as Cletus Cassidy, who, as we all know, is the is the host of the Carnage Symbiote. Um, although they gave him a absolutely god-awful wig in that yeah scene. yeah yeah definitely D- ditching the wig was was the first good move this the second movie made yeah um, because yeah. That, that did look ridiculous yeah um yeah. so i was really looking forward to this movie especially because you know andy circus was taking over as director and you know with all of his experience with motion capture you know he seemed like the perfect guy to direct a movie like this so i was I was totally on board for this. Um, and, and then it came out and honestly, I don't know. I think you said you, you actually really liked this movie. Um, I, I was actually kind of disappointed with it. It did not do for me what the first movie did. I think it, it, it pales in comparison to the first movie. I feel like they kind of wasted carnage in this. And, uh, there's just a lot of missteps, which we can probably break down as we go further in the discussion. Hmm. No, I mean, what I would say is, personally, I enjoyed it, but I can totally see how people who really enjoyed the first movie might see it as a step down. Mm-hmm. Um, because, the, you know, like you say, Carnage is, in my opinion, too good a villain to be one and done, which yeah. he very clearly is by the end of this movie. Um, it's a bit like, um, no, again, a much much better movie but if you think about the batman 1989 example right great great movie but on reflection they probably regret killing the joker at the end of that movie Mm -hmm. because that was such a big character that you could have done so much more with him and i think carnage falls into a similar boat whereas like again going back to the comic books the whole point of carnage was that he necessitated venom and spider-man getting together Mm -hmm. because it's like we need to put our own our own beef aside here because this guy could kill both of us. Um, whereas here he's just kind of negated to like the stock villain of this movie, pretty much as riot was in the first movie. Yeah. And it's like, uh, carnage carnage is on a much higher tier than riot. And the movies haven't really reflected that. Well, yeah. I mean, to that point that that big showdown in the church, when the symbiote says, Oh no, it's a red one. I'm just like, what wasn't, riot a red one in the last movie too if i'm misremembering but i think pretty sure he was red as well and then and there's no ver, never any explanation as to why venom is so scared of the carnage symbiote it's just like that one line and mm. it's it's never been hinted at before it's never mentioned again it's never really shown through the movie why he would be so afraid of carnage so that was very kind of baffling to me I'll bet that that was probably one of the things that was cut down when the studio necessitated the movie be cut down to 90 minutes. Oh, um, I see. I'll, I'll bet there's a script out there somewhere in the two-hour R-rated cut of, Ve- of Venom, Let There Be Carnage, which was originally envisioned, which uh, probably expands on that quite a bit. 
Um, that, oh. Yeah, that was a plot hole for me as well. So, so, yeah. so Mike, I, I was not aware of this. So I'm guessing then that this was a, this is kind of similar to the, um, the, the Daredevil situation from the, the movie where, you know, it was this, it was originally like this two hour long movie and then the studio cut it down to 90 minutes. And that's why this, the story of the theatrical cut is pretty nonsensical. And then when you compare it to the director's cut, the director's cut is actually, mm. you know, ridiculously superior. Hmm. Yeah, I mean, I, I don't know if a two-hour version was ever actually filmed. I don't know mm -hmm. if it's like a Justice League scenario or not. But what I do know is that the, the movie was originally envisioned to be longer. But mm -hmm. executives said, no, we want a 90-minute movie so we can maximize the... Because, the... again, this was just coming out of the pandemic, you know, late 2021 release. And they wanted to really try and get as much revenue in as they could because I think they knew they were going to lose money on this regardless because mm -hmm. it had sat, it had been baking for so long in the studio. Because remember, this movie was supposed to come out a full year before it eventually did. Right, yeah. Um, and that's unfortunate because I really think that... I don't know if there is a two-hour cut of the movie out there somewhere, but... If there is, I'd sure like to see it because I, I do think there are there's that and there's a number of other little plot threads that don't quite get um, don't quite get fixed up. I mean, I think you could do a lot more as well, exploring the sort of relationship between Carnage and uh, Cassidy. Mm -hmm. You know, we both agree that the one of the major strong points of both these movies is the dynamic between Eddie and Venom. Whereas every time like there's something between carnage and and cast it's basically like, shut up or i'll kill your wife and then mm -hmm. that's it <laughs> it kind of shuts down there and um there's not really a an exploration of that i thought you know having carnage as for want of a better phrase the anti-venom would have been a, a bit more interesting you know? mm -hmm. yeah i mean that is that's a good point and you just mentioned some touched on something there that i didn't think of before but this has the exact same problem that spider-man 3 had where again they're you know they're kidnapping the love interest and having her held prisoner as a way to get the hero i mean like that that's it's the exact same plot thread from the from that yeah. movie even the even that final battle scene is you know not all that dissimilar um no. especially and it was such a huge step down from the the first movie where Anne uses the symbiote to save eddie uh, where they had completely inverted that whole idea, and then here they just they just go back to the the cliche. That was kind of disappointing, um, but also too they have that they they also retread familiar ground where they still had the symbiote and Anne merge together very briefly, and just like you know it 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 felt like they they were playing things safe and they weren't going as far as they should have with with uh, a character like carnage or with the this plot or this situation yeah um th this movie definitely has elements of uh, filming by committee about it unfortunately mm. and i think i think you've just you've just hit on one of the major ones there um and definitely takes a step back as a character um compared to what she was in the first movie uh, and it's a shame because i really like that actress and i really think that the the role was you know i was hoping we might actually get more of lady venom in the, in the second movie as like a, another character because i thought that was what they were teasing in the first movie but clearly it wasn't it was just an easter egg for for people that read the comics yeah i mean you know michelle williams it's clear that she's having fun in these movies um i mean yeah that when she says that line about she's where she's like not again and she's like well you know maybe i mean it's actually a lot of fun <laughs> yeah yeah <laughs> um yeah, um yeah, but sorry, another, go ahead. Well, I was going to say that I think the biggest weakness for me in this movie, though, is the inclusion of Shriek, uh, because it, it mm. you know, talking about plot holes, that's a huge plot hole that it sets up because we are not in the MCU here, right, where you have, you know, all these different super pe super beings who exist. This has been established as being a separate universe and the most supernatural thing that we've seen so far in these movies is the symbiote. That's the, that's the, that's the only thing we've seen. There's never been any sort of hint as to why Shriek has these powers. It, it just, she's had them right? in the comics. She's a mutant. So we know that, but mutants have not been established as being part of this reality. So that just, it just, it's just taken as a given that, you know, 
there are people who have superpowers in this universe. And it just feels very, it feels like they, they didn't know how to give her superpowers. And so they just said, well, let's just have, let's just keep them as she was born. She had them since she was a little kid. Yeah. There was that one throwaway line about mutation. And the, the other thing is, you know, I think again, talking about what I think was probably executive interference is that, Clearly, whoever made the choice to put that line in the movie was not aware it was going to trigger a whole fan base thing about, oh, does this mean the X-Men are in this universe? Mm. You know, and it it was unfortunate because clearly that was not a direction that they wanted to go in. But as soon as you say mutation, something mm-hmm. which hasn't hadn't come up in the MCU by that point, right? You're like, oh, does this mean we're getting mutants? And no, it doesn't. It just it's just a throwaway line to explain dropping this character into the story yeah um i mean it's a shame because i do like what they did with shriek in the sense that they actually made her a a fleshed out character as opposed to just this psychopath who pairs up with another psychopath Mm -hmm. in in the comic books um you know having her and cassidy basically be a couple from from childhood was I, i think quite an interesting take on it and you know, initially you do have sympathy for her, but then, of course, as time goes on, you realise no, she's just another psychopath. But um, it's uh, it it was it's funny that in in a movie where Carnage is supposed to be the centerpiece, that Shriek is actually the more developed character of the two, which is which is weird um, because you know it's the complete opposite in the comic books. Shriek is just a, a henchwoman mm-hmm. to to the main man Carnage, whereas here. They have a kind of 50-50 dynamic almost. And I think the, yeah, that whole, you know, the natural born killers angle thing, you know, similar to the the other movie Harrelson was in in the 90s, that would have worked very well, I think, but not in this movie. I think you first have to establish Carnage as his own character first, and then, you know, you, you probably, you probably see, you know, in Shriek and you lay the, lay the groundwork for bringing her in later, but you don't actually see her until maybe like a post credits thing or something like that. And then you bring her in, in the next movie I thought would have made a lot more sense. Yeah. Yeah. Because like, like, you know, going back to what we said before, carnage should fight Spider-Man and Venom. That's Mm -hmm. that, that should be how you, you bring the character to its pinnacle. Whereas unfortunately, because of whatever here that they've had him as he's the villain, he's done by the end of this movie. And the thing is, now for Venom 3, where do you go? Because, all right, it's hinted that Toxin is going to come into the movie at some point. Mm -hmm. But, you know, Toxin is not on the same level as Carnage. And unless they're going to have him fight Null, which, in my opinion, is unfortunately pretty much unfilmable as a movie because Mm -hmm. that character has got so much going on, um, you know, anything else is going to be a step down from Carnage. So that's the kind of sort of creatively written themselves into a corner there. You know? Well, also, too, it's how many times are we going to keep going to, you know, Venom has to battle another symbiote route? I mean, if it's, yeah. you know, we had Riot in the first one, we have Carnage in this one, and then if, if we bring in Tox in the third one, I think there's going to be a definite sense of uh, fatigue setting in with the audience. Yeah. Yeah, it's, I mean, you know, I like Tom Hardy and Venom. I like what they're doing with, with, with him, even if it is very different from, from some aspects of the comic. Um, but yeah, they're going to have to really up the stakes here because mm-hmm. Carnage is, you know, Carnage is to, to, to Venom what the Joker is to Batman. And right. now that he's off the table, where do you go? I really don't know. I mean, I'm sure they'll think of something, but I just get the feeling it's going to be, you know, you, you, you said yourself you come away from this movie feeling quite unfulfilled in a number of ways. I'm worried I'm going to have the same feeling with the next movie because mm-hmm. my my favorite villain is done and gone. So, <laughs> Yeah. And also, too, I mean, I think what would have been interesting is if you introduce Carnage in this movie and because at some point they knew they were going to have, you know, Venom connected to the MCU, right? With the with the with the credit mm-hmm. sequence where he gets transported to the MCU, um, and you know, fortunately, they do it in a way that's actually pretty clever, right? Unlike Morbius, where it's just 
you know, Michael Keaton appearing in the Morbius universe doesn't make a lick of sense. <laughs> it just does yeah. not work at all. Um, but in in this movie, it actually does make sense, right? The symbiote says that, you know, we have a we share a hive mind that spans the multiverse. And that's a an interesting concept. So it makes sense why when um Doctor Strange's spell starts pulling in characters who know Spider-Man is Peter Parker. That's why this, the Venom symbiote ends up getting brought into the MCU. That made total sense. I thought that was a really cool way of doing it. Um, mm. And that could have been a good setup for Maximum Carnage, right? If you had, yeah. you know, Venom being brought in. I mean, presumably then Carnage could also have been brought into the, the MCU as well. And then you would have had Venom and Spider-Man having to team up to stop Carnage. I think that would have been a much better way to to go about it than what we saw, what we got here. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, and also you could have the, you know, if you, if you kept the thing going with like the multiple Spider-Men, mm -hmm. you could have Tobey Maguire say, wait a minute, I've fought this guy before. He is not a good guy. Mm -hmm. um, and then, you know, but our Venom now is much more sympathetic. And how do you, how do you, you bridge that, you know, with the idea of, you know, our previous Spider-Man thought thought this guy as an out-and-out -out villain, whereas this Venom is definitely not a villain. And how does the current Spider-Man deal with that? You know, mm -hmm. there, there's so much they could have done there rather than just have a, a post-credit stinger that doesn't go anywhere. It's yeah. a shame. Yeah, absolutely. Um, I thought another thing that the film did well, though, just like in the first movie, is that odd couple dynamic. The fact that they're having all these growing pains, you know, living together and and, you know, with Venom constantly wanting to to eat people's brains and, you know, Eddie always being like, no, 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 no. So that, you know, we have to we have to only eat chickens, only eat chickens or chocolate. <laughs> Yeah, that whole seat, that whole sequence where like uh, Venom decides to go on a night out, <laughs> he goes to the nightclub and whatever. That is, I mean, it's it's stupid, but it's it's funny. Mm. It, it, I I like that. Well, I also like that they've got this, um, you know, they've got this uh, friendship with um, Mrs. Chen, <laughs> and yeah, and how she's like, you know, yeah, you know, and how she tries to she tries to blackmail him at one point. <laughs> Yeah, she's she's definitely one of the uh, one of those great little kind of side characters. Mm. That, um, yeah, just just enhances whatever any scene that she's in. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Um, and also, like when when the symbiote possesses her and she's talking to Anne, I thought, yeah, she, you know, she plays that lot. She plays that part so well in that in that scene. Yeah, absolutely. Um, yeah, yeah, definitely. Um, I mean, it. it to me, that 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 was kind of that was one of the, the the most understated yet funny lines of the movie, where like Eddie walks into the the store, it's just like, "Hi, Eddie. Hi, Venom." Mm -hmm. <laughs> <laughs> it's, just like, it's just such a normal thing for the, the guy to have this alien attached to him. You know? Yeah, yeah, definitely. <laughs> um, another thing I had an issue with was the way they depicted the relationship between Carnage and Cassidy, because. One of the trademarks of Carnage in the comics is that he is kind of possessing the symbiote, right? He doesn't think of the symbiote as a as a partnership. He is, you know, unlike other symbiotes where they've other symbiote hosts where they have this relationship with the symbiote, Carnage doesn't. Like the the symbiote is almost like you know a pawn of Carnage of of Cletus. He is, you know, he's like you know controlling the symbiote. He's like almost holding it prisoner. Um, like he doesn't refer to it as we; he refers to himself as I. Mm. Yeah, but uh, I mean, if I'm if I'm right in thinking in the comic books, that's to do, something to do with the fact that he absorbed it into his blood, whereas other symbiotes bond with a with a host like at, at the at the at the you know at the, at the exterior level. So yeah, it was much more of a complete takeover when when Cassidy bonded with Carnage. So. Yeah, I it's, think it's a I, complicated one. Yeah, I think I remember reading some at at some point somewhere, and this is like I'm I'm half remembering this from like you know 20 years ago, so mm -hmm. I apologize if I'm getting getting things wrong. But I think it also had something to do with um, Cletus's own insanity, which is why he is um, uh, he's not as you know, which is why he doesn't view it as a partnership. He just views it as like 
his possession instead. Mm. Yeah, because I mean, you know, I think that I don't know if any writers ever publicly admitted this, but to me, Carnage, as you see him in the early nineties, was clearly written as what if the Joker had superpowers? You know, oh, that's yeah. basically uh, that's exactly the angle they're going for because he's. He's not, like you say, it's not this back and forth. He is just a psychopath who has just had a major power-up. Mm-hmm. That, that's yeah. that's basically what it is. See, I briefly tried to look it up, and I couldn't find out what, what the reference is. So I could be completely wrong on that, um, about the, the mentality. But whatever the case, whatever the reason was, I thought that it was kind of a missed opportunity to not show that carnage and and Cletus have a very different relationship to um, Eddie and Venom. And while they do try to differentiate them in some small way by, you know, obviously it's a, it's slightly more antagonistic. I felt that by having carnage be like, kind of like the dominant force in their relationship, it it almost kind of diminishes Cassidy a bit. I don't know. what, What did you think about that? Yeah, I would, I would kind of agree with that because, um, you know, Cassidy in the comic books is not in any way a sympathetic character. He is a vicious, murdering, evil being. Mm-hmm. And then when Carnage comes along, all that does is enhance every negative aspect of his character. Whereas here, he's almost sympathetic at times. You know, it's like, don't don't you hurt my wife? And, mm-hmm. you know, it's like... um. I'm sorry, but I'm not supposed to feel sorry for Carnage. You know? Yeah, <laughs> and yet here we are. I'm like, oh my God, Cletus Casty, that's a shame. He, you know, all he wants is to have a friend. You know, and I'm like, no, that, that this is not the angle you go down with this character. Well, yeah, that that annoyed me. That thing at the end where he says, yeah. "Oh, I just wanted to be your friend, Eddie." I'm like, where the fuck did that come from? And that could be another example of you know, like you were saying, maybe it was something that was that was cut down and and was you know kind of like a, a remnant of what was supposed to be a, a longer movie. But whatever the case, mm. it's still, it makes no sense in the context of this movie. To me though, that, 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 that bit isn't really about him is to set up what I think is the, the, the best single use of an F bomb in a PG 13 movie. Mm. ever. <laughs> and I'm just like, Oh fuck this guy crunch. <laughs> yeah. Um, yeah. And if that was the I case, was yeah, more- but um, it didn't, it felt like Cletus was being genuine in that. It felt like the movie was actually trying to push that point of view, even though, you know, it, you do get that next line after that, but, but still it was just, it, yeah. it, it just felt very tacked on to me. Yeah. I, I, like you say, I think there's probably a deeper story there that, that we'll, we'll probably never see, unfortunately. But, um, I, I do love that, that line from Venom though. <laughs> <laughs> Because I, I, if I'm writing, if I'm writing, saying in America, that's the rules, isn't it? PG thirteen, you get one F word. Yeah, I think and... it's, I think it's like one or two, something like that. But yeah, th- those are, yeah. those are generally the rules. Um, so yeah, and they so they use that one to maximum effect. They definitely found the best use of that one line. Yes, absolutely. Um, uh, so talk about some other stuff. What did you think of? Uh, mulligan in this uh who will end up becoming um possibly end up becoming toxin in the in a, in a sequel um yeah i thought it was interesting um it's kind of it, it it's it's good in these kind of movies when you get like the, the the cop or the detective who is on the periphery and isn't fully aware of what's going on so a lot of it, he's like, what the hell is this? And as time goes on, he moves deeper into it and becomes aware of it. Um, reminded me a little bit of, and, you know, apologies if, if listeners haven't seen this, but the original Highlander movie, mm-hmm. um, a, a major side plot of that movie is the police saying, like, who's running around cutting all these guys' heads off? And they're, they, they'd know nothing about Immortals or The Gathering or whatever, and they're trying to make sense of it all. And I thought there was an element of that in the Mulligan character. He's like aliens, symbiotes. What the what the hell is going on here? Mm-hmm. And he's trying to kind of figure it out. And then of course, at the end, as we say with the hint towards Toxin, he's getting fully sucked into this world now. Yeah, yeah. I mean, I thought he was. Again, I think there's a there are elements of a good movie here where you've got um, Mulligan trying to trying to use Eddie to to find the remains of Cletus's murder victims. But 
you know, tying him in with, you know, Shriek and all that, I felt like it didn't really quite work as well. And he just, he just feels kind of there throughout most of this movie. Mm. And it feels like they're so focused on this idea of seating him in to, for a possible sequel, just like they did with, um, uh, Tyrese's character in Morbius. It felt very similar to, to that aspect of it. Yeah, and to be honest, that is my biggest peeve that I have with current superhero movies and, you know, Star Wars is another example of it. Whereas, like, can you please just focus on doing this movie well instead of, like, planting story plot points that are going to pay off three or four movies down mm-hmm. the line? You know, it, it really... That is something about modern cinema that actively agitates me. I don't want to have to spend two hours reading up on Wikipedia for films I don't have time to watch just Mm. so I can understand what's going on in the film I'm about Mm. to see, you know? Um, I mean, case in point, last night we watched um, on domestic TV here in Japan, they had um, Spider-Man Far From Home last night. So Mm. we watched that. And at the end of it, there was a preview for the Marvels movie. And my wife was like, oh, that looks good. Let's go see it. And I'm like, yeah, but we need to watch Captain Marvel first. (laughs) (laughs) If we don't watch Captain Marvel, we're not going to have a clue who any of these characters are. So, Mm. you know, I don't like movies that give me homework. (laughs) (laughs) I mean, I'm I'm of two minds on that. Like I, you know, coming from the comics background, I do love the increasing. I do love the interconnected aspects of it. But also you make a very good point. Like I think they, they take it too far. I thought... When it's done well, it 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 works really well. Like um, I think the Avengers was a was a very good way of doing that, where they had had um, you know they had introduced some stuff to to seed stuff in, but that movie, if you watch the Avengers in isolation, you can still yeah. follow it pretty well. Like they do a pretty good job of giving you all the information you need to know. Um, or the Guardians movies too. That's another good example of you know films that do a very good job of setting it within this universe, but still focusing on the story they're trying to tell. Um, and yeah, there are some little Easter eggs here and there that might pay off in the future, but it's not, you know, it's not the focus. Whereas I feel like something like you know introducing uh, Mulligan in this movie or uh, introducing you know whoever Tyrese's character was in in Morbius that feels like the the studio is focusing more on let's introduce stuff for the sequels, which were not planned yet, instead of developing a good story for this movie. Yeah, and I, you know, I don't mean to, to, to crap on what I thought was a perfectly serviceable movie, but that's when you end up with a Black Adam scenario. You know? Yes. <laughs> you plant this major, major build-up for another movie that is just not going to happen. Mm-hmm. I will crap um, on Black Adam. I was very disappointed with that movie. <laughs> <laughs> uh, yeah, that, yeah I, that's another one that I'll yeah. have to, you know, we'll see about talking about at some point. But that was just that was just a massive disappointment, um, uh, especially, especially what happened at the end of it. So... You know, I I, yeah. I feel so bad for Henry Cavill being used as a pawn in Dwayne Johnson's power games. Yeah, although the good, the, the going back to what I said before, the the, the one good thing of that is we're probably going to get a new Highlander movie <laughs> earlier than we thought we were. Thanks, Henry Cavill go. being yeah. free now. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Um, or maybe him as James Bond. Like I, that's another one that's been thrown around a lot. Which you know, mm. after that's one that should have happened. That I mean, should have happened ten years ago. Yeah. yeah, I mean, after seeing him in um, Man from Uncle, like, I don't know why you didn't fire Daniel Craig right away and cast Henry Cavill after <laughs> that movie. Yeah, um, yeah, but yeah. That was those are kind of some of the biggest things that that bothered me about this. I mean, I did like that we got to see a little bit more of Reed Scott and Michelle Williams, although I felt that they weren't used as effectively in this movie as they were in the last movie. Like here. As great it is seeing them again, it it did feel a little bit like they weren't quite. They they didn't they didn't have a really good way to integrate them into this movie. I did like at the end though, um, where 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 Venom says like you know Dan you take care as well mm-hmm. and um you know because at the end of the first movie he's like we're gonna get her back yeah whereas now he's like yeah Dan's a good guy Dan's all right. Dan can have her, you know, he's, he's, um, it, it, it was just a nice bit of closure 
for for that particular story arc. I think that you can see, yeah, uh, Eddie and Venom are ready to move on from mm. Anne, and you can see yeah, that Dan is nothing but a nice guy throughout the entirety of the two movies, despite everything he has to deal with. That's what I like too, and, because yeah. you know one of the things yeah. that still drives me insane about Spider Man Two is how MJ leaves John Jameson at the altar, who is the nicest freaking guy in that movie. Whereas Peter Parker yeah. is being a jerk throughout the whole movie. And then he gets, and then she leaves him at the altar for, for, for Peter that every time I watch that movie, I want to, I want to stop after, um, after he drops her off at home before the wedding scene, because that, that whole ending just pisses me off. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, it was a, you know, Superman Returns was another movie like that where you had the the um the character I can't remember the character's name, but the one that was 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 with Lois mm-hmm. Lane, and Richard. I'm like, unless you kill this guy off in the next movie, there's no there's no good way to resolve this. It doesn't make Superman look like a total dick, you know. But I think they did find a good way to resolve it in that movie because he, you know, he they, and I think when because I it, this is on my mind because we had just recently re-released the episode where um, Derek and I had talked about Superman Returns um, as part of the the SCP Classic feed. Um, But one of the things that really impressed us about that movie was the moment when he takes her up into above the Daily Planet and they're flying and then he sets her back down. They almost kiss and they stop and he pulls away. Like for me, when I see that, when I saw that movie, Mm. when I was re-watching it, I'm like, that's the moment when he, when they both realize it's over between them. And yeah. And from that point on, you know, he realizes, you know, Richard's a good guy. Richard's a good man. I'm going to step back and step out of the way. Mm-hmm. And obviously the thing that you're going to have to resolve, which they never ended up getting around to doing was the, the, the patron, the parentage thing. But, uh, mm-hmm. but outside of that, I thought the idea of him, taking a step back and basically being like, you know, um, them almost being like a divorced couple was a very interesting way to to do it. And I wish we could have seen what would have happened in the next movie. Um, so I did like that Richard ends up getting the girl in the end of that movie, just like I like that Dan ends up getting the girl in these movies, because in both cases, You've got because most of the time in these movies, when you've got when you're setting up a love triangle, the the third point on that triangle is almost always an asshole. Doesn't matter if it's male or if it's female, yeah. it's it's almost always gonna be an asshole character who is wrong for the love interest. And yeah. what I like that Superman Returns did, when I like that the Venom movies did, is that they did not make that character an asshole. They made him a good guy in both cases. And in both cases, you know he the he and the the main character ends up losing out but you're okay with that decision right they end up they handle it in a pretty mature way and i like that aspect of it yeah i mean i, I would totally agree with that i think um when, when when i said how do you resolve it i i i was talking from the sense of like after superman returns establishing the comic book status quo when mm-hmm. it's superman and lois together and there was no way to do that because she was clearly happy right. with Richard and Richard was a good guy by the end of that movie. Yeah. So yeah, ties in exactly to what you were saying. Yeah. Yeah. And, and that, yeah, that would have been interesting to see. Um, but anyway, we're not here to talk about Superman Returns. <laughs> um, <laughs> what did you think of Naomi Harris as uh, Shriek? We, we talked about her role in the movie, but we haven't talked so much about her performance. I, I think you've got, um, a very, a very, very good actress there who is given very little to do. Um, her best scenes are early on in the movie when she's very much the victim. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, she's being held in this high security prison and tested like a lab rat. When at that point, she, she you don't really think she's done anything wrong. But then when she gets out, she just goes full villain and becomes a much less interesting character at that point, unfortunately. Even though Naomi Harris does play, you know, she's she's really good at doing that sort of over-the-top hammy villain thing. But to me, the character loses something once you make that transition. Yeah, I mean, she's she's such a good actress and she really deserved better than than what she got in 
in this. Um, and I think even to an extent, the same could be said for, for Woody Harrelson, although he gets a little bit more. And early on, I think he does a pretty good job. Like, I think the best scenes with Cletus are when he's in the prison and when he's talking with, yeah. with, um, with Eddie. Um, and then, but then after he breaks out and he merges with the Carnage Simulator, like we said, he, he kind of becomes almost subordinate to Carnage, which, and that seems to be in a misguided attempt to try and make him relatable. Um, and then you got him being, you know, obsessed with rescuing uh, Shriek and all that. And it just, it, it, it kind of falls apart. It feels like Harrelson is not really able to cut loose in the way that we know he can. Because if you get the Woody Harrelson from Natural Born Killers, like that is, that is the perfect pick for Cletus Cassidy. Like, you know, you could not, you could not engineer a better casting decision. And yet this script doesn't really do the character or Harrelson's abilities as an actor, any real favors. Yeah. And it's a shame because I remember as far back as the early two thousands, you know, people fan casting, everybody wanted Woody Harrelson for carnage. Mm -hmm. They all thought that is just, that's perfect. That that's dream casting. And then when, you see at the end of the first movie, it is him. You're like, oh, that's perfect. That is just such a good, such a good pick. Bad wig aside. <laughs> and yeah, and then it just doesn't, yeah, yeah. So <laughs> sideshow symbiote or whatever, mm. I, yeah. Anyway, um, <laughs> but, but yeah, um, it's, a, it's a shame because it's a real, real missed opportunity there. Yeah. Um, like you say, this could be a, a multi-movie villain he could be a villain with so much more going on. Um, and again, like Shriek, his best parts are before he becomes superpowered and goes full psycho. Yeah. Um, it's, um, yeah, the, the whole sort of like slow speaking, understated kind of like this very, very creepy, but trying somehow to be sympathetic mm -hmm. Um character that he is in prison is much more interesting than just the the mass murdering red monster that he becomes later on yeah i think they also miss an opportunity to show sort of the to draw um a more interesting contrast between venom and carnage because you know in the comics <clears throat> there is this idea that yeah yeah venom is is a monster but he does have some sense of morality however twisted it might be whereas carnage has no morality whereas in this one you know you do get some of that with venom but the fact that uh eddie is so against him killing it kind of dilutes that concept a little bit and then you get almost like you know a standard hero villain difference whereas i think if eddie had embraced venom's you know ideas of being a lethal protector and being able to kill criminals i think it would have made for a more interesting contrast with Carnage. Mm. Yeah. Yeah. And th there's also the, what I think is kind of a, a, a major plot hole in the movie that's created through this whole Carnage Venom dynamic. Right. So we go with the assumption that Carnage is the dominant of the pair. Mm -hmm. Right. The, when Casty gets out, the first thing he wants to do is go and rescue Shriek. Now, if Carnage as as happened when Venom bonded with Eddie, if Carnage has absorbed all of Cassidy's memories and knowledge, whatever, he knows that her superpower is Sonic. So he should be like, we're not going anywhere near that because that could kill me. Oh, you're absolutely right. You I know? didn't even think about that. But yeah, you're 100% you're so, right. Yeah. <clears throat> so really, if Carnage is the dominant one and is, is like as brutal as he appears to be towards the end of the movie, he should be like, no. We're not going anywhere near her. Mm -hmm. Forget her. We've got other more important things to do. Not even forget her. Like he probably would have, with how dominant he was, he probably would have just killed her outright. I mean, that's, yeah. yeah, you're absolutely right. That is a, that is a huge plot hole that the movie just does not address at all. Um, I mean, in summation, I think this is a movie that it had so much potential and it just feels like it was, it was really squandered. I mean, even, with the whole idea about, you know, trying to get back the the former lover, that's another area where you could have drawn some more interesting contrast between Venom and Carnage, and they just don't. Like, there are all these ideas that are there, but they're not touched on at all. 
Yeah, because the other thing is that, you know, as I said, up until she gets out of prison, Shriek is quite a sympathetic character. You know, you, I mean, fair enough. You could have right. had her, like, murder those those doctors that tortured her. You know, if she killed them, you'd say, well, fair enough. That, mm-hmm. That's revenge. But then I, I would have liked right. to have had a bit, maybe later in the movie, where she used to, like, you know, she says to Carnage, right, stop. This is too much. We're going too far here. Because I, you, you don't, there's not enough there to buy that she would be as evil as he is. And yet she quite happily jumps on board with all that. And it, it, that that didn't sit easy with me um, when I was watching the movie. No, I agree completely. Yeah, and I think um, it's probably a good note to, to end on here is that this is just, it's a movie that had so much potential. And I mean, and you know, I'm not saying like, it, it's not like we're talking about the Dark Knight or Iron Man with the first Venom movie. I mean, it wasn't, you know, a stellar example of superhero movies, but it was a fun movie. And I yeah. feel like this, even that, I mean, it's not, it even, I mean, I, I, you know, on Letterboxd, I think I gave, um, you know, the first movie, like maybe three, three and a half stars or something like that. So it's a fun movie. It's, it's a movie that I'll watch every now and again, but it's not something that I'm going to hold up as like a, a pinnacle uh, of superhero movies. But so the bar is not that high to make a good sequel to this movie. And it feels like they they just didn't really try hard enough. It felt very phoned in in a lot of respects. Yeah, I mean, I I enjoy it for what it is. It's just it's a it's a dumb action movie with some funny moments and it's kind of bubblegum viewing. You know, it's 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 harmless. It's kind of, you know, you can. But for people like us who know. The, the potential these characters could have that's where you get a bit disappointed with it um yeah it's a disappointing movie i'm personally not as disappointed with it as i think you are but i i can definitely see a lot of missed potential in to me what is a middling but reasonably enjoyable film right yeah i think they're just it it's it's funny they made the same mistake with um it's funny these studios keep making the same mistakes right uh X-Men with the Dark Phoenix movies. They made the same mistake both times. <laughs> they, they tried to cram too yeah. much story into one movie. And then Spider-Man 3 and Let There Be Carnage, they make the same mistake with Venom both times. They keep trying to cram too much into these movies. I mean, you yeah. don't do the symbiote story and Venom at the same time. You don't do Carnage's introduction and Maximum Carnage at the same time. You don't do the Phoenix Saga and the Dark Phoenix Saga in the same movie. You have to give these stories a little bit more room to breathe. And they were just, it, it's like that, um, it's like that uh, Ian Malcolm quote from Jurassic Park, right? You're, you were so obsessed with the idea of whether or not you could, you didn't stop to think whether or not you should. Yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah. And just to close out, I would say to, to make a comparison, anybody who played the Maximum Carnage video game and then played its sequel, which was utter crap. Was that uh, separation um, anxiety? Yeah. Basically, the drop in quality from Venom <laughs> 1 to, to Venom Let There Be Carnage is almost as as bad as that, I mm-hmm. would say. Maximum Carnage was a, a good video game. Separation anxiety has everything the first one has, but somehow does not quite it just it just isn't as good. Mm-hmm. It's a year later, but it but it looks like an older game. It's um, it's you know it's got the same characters, but they don't interact as much, and it it's kind of yeah, it's an interesting parallel there. I think to draw the same the same problems with with this movie. Think, it's 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 okay, but it's not as good as as the first one. Yeah, definitely. I think um, you can draw a similar comparison if you're comparing uh the Arkham games with Arkham City and Arkham Origins, which was clearly just an attempt to you know, get a cash grab while Rocksteady was still trying to figure out if they wanted to do a third game. Yeah, absolutely. Definitely. Uh, Okay, Liam, why don't you tell people where they can find you? Okay, guys, if you're, um, if you're interested in football or soccer, as you might call it in the, in, in the States, um, I do two regular shows on YouTube. We do Celtic down under, which talks about Celtic football club, a Scottish football team. Um, uh that's monday monday evenings on youtube and uh then i also am a regular on a celtic state of mind which also broadcasts youtube weekdays at uh, 12 30 uk time uh so that's either 8 30 or 9 30 depending on the time of year if you're in japan like mm-hmm. we are um 
so yeah, give those a listen and uh, you might find something in there to enjoy, um, even if you're not a football fan, because the banter is usually quite good. Okay, great. And we are uh, super superherocinephiles.com is the website as usual. We are Super Cinema Pod on Instagram and uh, Blue Sky. Um, Technically on on Twitter or X or whatever the hell Elon Musk is calling it this week. Although, um, other than new episode announcements, don't help. Don't expect a whole lot of discussion over on there. Mostly, you can find me on Blue Sky these days is where I spend most of my time. Uh, also, we got the Patreon show, patreon.com slash superhero cinephiles. And if you are interested, there's my comic book, Paragons of Earth, which I've worked on with Thomas DJ and Eric Johns. Tom was, of course, a guest on this show uh, when we talked about when we did the Memorial Der- episode for, for Derek. And him and Derek also used to host their own show, Better in the Dark. This guy I've known for a long time. And we brought on Eric Johns, who is a fantastic penciler. He used to work on the Razor comics in the 90s. Um, and he's doing the the pencils on Paragons of Earth. We've taken a lot of public domain superheroes, and we've kind of made our own public domain Justice League. Um, we are almost finished with the comic book, but we are funding it. And you can find the link for that in the show notes. It is crowdfunder.com slash Paragons Comic. Again, that is crowdfundernoe.com slash Paragons Comic. Again, links for that will be in the show notes, as well as links to the social media. Uh, Liam's links will be in there as well. Thanks so much for listening, and we will talk to you next time. Thanks for listening to the Superhero Cinephiles podcast. Superhero Cinephiles is produced by me, Percival Constantine, with the support of Zencaster. The show is created by myself and the late, great Derek Ferguson, our host, Emeritus. Visit us on the web at SuperheroCinephiles.com to listen to past episodes or find out how you can be a guest yourself. Support the show by visiting our advertiser links or click the Buy Me a Coffee link on the website to make a one-time donation. You can also support us by visiting crowdfunder.com slash paragonscomic. That's crowdfunder with no E dot com slash paragonscomic and help support my superhero comic book, Paragons of Earth. We are Super Cinema Pod on both Instagram and Blue Sky, so please be sure to follow us. We'd also appreciate if you could rate and review the show on Apple Podcasts and share us with your friends.